South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, it's five minutes after eight o'clock on a nice Sunday morning out there. It's not cool, but <laughs> excuse me, it's gonna it's cooler than it's going to be later in the day. If you've got things to do outside, I definitely would put them on my morning agenda, not my afternoon agenda, because they are saying it'll be a hundred and two this afternoon, and of course with the heat index, it may feel like a hundred and ten or more. So. Plan to get out and get your fertilizing done, get those vinca planted, do anything that needs to be done. I was pulling weeds in my vegetable garden last night until dark. Let me tell you, there's just so many things to be done and so much to talk about. So uh, don't dial right this second. Carolyn, Glenn, James, and Thomas are already in line waiting, but we'll have a line available for you pretty shortly. So just keep that number in mind, 210-599-5555. Lots to talk about, but the most important thing is what is important to you. So let's start with Carolyn. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. I thought I'd get in first this morning. You made it. Good for you. I made it. Um, I treated my, uh, I've got a lime tree in a large pot, Uh and it was doing fine. And then I noticed when I watered, the ants came out of the Uh, soil. Okay. uh, So I put some orange oil in water. I looked on all my notes from you, but I had not written down how much orange oil, so I was pretty conservative, and then I sprayed the trunk with DE, but, and that seemed to hold it for a couple of weeks, and yesterday I watered, and oh my gosh, the ants came out in yeah. droves. Yeah, you'll need uh-huh. to give it another soaking. I go real dilute as well. I go about a teaspoon per gallon of water, and oh, so it's, uh, the thing about fire ants is they build a colony, so to speak, and they pretty much waterproof it. Uh, it's hard to get things to penetrate through the the glue, as it were, that they use to make their tunnels and things. So it's important to uh, add just a few drops of dish soap, make that water a little bit wetter so that it gets in. But I would uh-huh. give them another drenching. Uh, one additional thing you can do, and I don't know if you want to go to this much trouble, but the other possibility is to turn that pot over on its side very gently slip the root ball out, and that way you can, you know, pour your orange oil solution right where you see all the ants congregating and building their tunnels and things like that. But uh, you're doing exactly what I would do. Um, Is it only a teaspoon? You know, I went online, and I saw it said two ounces per gallon and stuff like that. And I knew that you you hadn't said that. That's what uh, we do out in the yard. But mm -hmm. uh, in pots, you have to be real careful not to burn the roots. So I go a mm-hmm. lot more dilute. If your tree is looking yes, fine after you did that 10 days ago, you're probably yes, okay. But I started lo- yeah, I started losing a little bit, of, a few of the limes. I had a lot of little yep. limes set, but I'm losing them, and I'm wondering. So if, if the ants had something to do with it. Now, I picked up the pot as much as I could because I'm by myself, and I, I set it up on a, a something uh, high, you know, so it wouldn't be sitting on the gravel uh-huh. and so the, and and i thought that would help and i sprayed de all around but that seemed to work for um a week or so and uh now i'm back they are back with a vengeance well so only a teaspoon per gallon that's yes. all you use in yeah. the, do it the do it again pot. do it very very thoroughly because they have built that little network of pretty much waterproof tunnels in there and uh-huh. that's why you put just a little bit of detergent or something in there so the water oh. is physically wetter and it penetrates okay. that little glue that they put together. And it really makes oh. your dredge a whole lot more effective. I'd use oh, maybe I do 
bed. If you're using a watering can full of liquid, I'd put maybe a quarter of a teaspoon of dish soap in there, too. Okay. Okay, I'll try that. And how often can I do that? Because I'm going to keep on it because I don't want to lose my limes, that's for sure. I would just watch, and when you see live fire ants, I would do it again. Hopefully that well, won't know, be very often. Maybe it'll be maybe it'll be a one-time thing. Yeah, I'm not sure it's fire ants because I have other... I don't. I've only had one fire ant mound in the yard, and that uh-huh. was several months ago in the front yard. And I, I put the orange oil, and I got rid of them. And I sure. Uh, yeah. Well, but, when you uh, when you disturb their colony, do they just come boiling out? Yeah, they do. But I've got fire little, ants. little ants that stink real bad, and they're tiny. But when they get on you, they don't bite like yeah. a fire. Those ant. those are called sugar ants, but they don't do nearly the damage that the fire ants do. But uh, I I would treat them again, and you'll get them under control. Okay. You'll get them under control. Okay. Just be sure to saturate them very, very thoroughly. Hopefully, you mm-hmm. won't have to do it again, but if so, you can do it about two weeks from now just to be on the safe side. Okay, te- te- only a teaspoon of orange oil per gallon of That's water. That's how dilutely I go so that I don't worry about oh, messing okay. up the roots. Yeah, okay, okay, thank you very much. You're certainly welcome. Thank you for the call this morning. Goodbye. All right, uh, Glenn's turn. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, sir. How's your day going? Uh, it's off to a good start. Fantastic. Got two questions for you. We have a pecan tree that is uh, dropping sprigs of leaves. Okay. Uh, three, four, five leaves on a sprig, and there's little bumps behind them, and they're just, uh, it's almost like somebody just broke off a sprig, and uh, they're just coming out of this pecan tree very badly okay couple of possibilities um when you look at the little twigs that have come down does it look like somebody took that twig and stuck it in a pencil sharpener and sharpened it to a little point on the end or does it look like it's just physically sheared off physically sheared off it's probably the storm we had the other day uh even up in bernie where we didn't get any rain to speak of i sure got the wind and man i had pecan limbs i had oaks i had sycamores I had a great plethora of limbs down on the ground to deal with. So I think it's probably just the kind of extreme weather we've been having lately. I, I'm, I'm getting them consistently out uh, on top of my roof and on the driveway and so on. And well, there's, like I said, there's little bumps on the, on the back side of the and, leaf. Yeah, and that's a little insect gall, but it's really harmless to the tree and doesn't really indicate any, any severe problem. Um, I wouldn't be concerned about that. I would, uh, you know, keep looking at those little twigs. If they start looking like somebody took a pencil sharpener and, you know, you know what the end of a freshly sharpened pencil looks like. If you see that, you've got something called twig girdlers that go out to the ends of the limbs. They cut these clumps of leaves and then they actually lay eggs in the little limb after it falls on the ground. Those eggs hatch and move into the ground and the cycle starts all over again. So if you're not seeing any of that, it's almost certainly just storm damage. Okay. Uh, second question. I've got a old oak tree right next to a little pond we have, a concrete pond. Okay. And, of course, it's heavily mulched, but I've got a lot of weeds and grass and stuff growing in it. it can I do a diluted uh Orange oil mixture. To orange oil, orange oil and vinegar. You don't have to dilute it any more than usual because you're just using it as a foliar spray. You're not really soaking the soil with it. So just make it up two tablespoons for actually two ounces per gallon and coat the foliage thoroughly, and you should see results in 30 minutes or less. Oh, wow. Okay. 
it won't do any harm to the uh, oak tree. No, not at all. Not at that rate. Okay. Very good. Thank you for your time, sir. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. Okay, from you two. From Glenn, we move on to James. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? Oh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I loaded that semi at 530 and uh, felt a little tired when I got through with that, but I guess that's just a normal thing on a hot, sultry morning. Yes, sir. It's uh, you can almost cut it with a knife out I, here. Yes, county boy. That's what it's, people in Houston say. They say we don't trust any air we can't see, and that's kind know, of the way man. it is out there today. Yes, sir. Uh, I called with a question that's important to me. Okay. Uh, when are those melons gonna start blooming? They just keep growing and growing and growing. Are we? Are we like they say? Are we thirty days behind the curve this year? I would say we are, and okay, um, well, you know we're supposed to go back to being pretty cool tomorrow and the next day, and we're just gonna have to see. It was sixty-five at my house a couple of mornings this week, and those melons they like it a lot warmer than we do. This, uh, you know, yeah. seventy-eight, eighty, eighty-five degrees that suits them just fine. And as long as what you're gonna find is you're gonna have an unusual number of. Uh, probably male flowers starting off but once those female flowers start showing up you're going to have melons like you won't believe well i've been waiting to see something happening because i wanted to get the hose in sprayer out there and give them some uh that medina plus i do that anyway i wouldn't i wouldn't wait any longer i get out there and do it maybe even add a little super thrive to it oh i don't have any of that Okay. Well, you can remedy that with a little trip over to Adam sometime soon. Okay, super thrive then. Yeah. Okay. Um, Stuart is encouraging us to use the Medina soil activator and the molasses um, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks before planting or transplanting. Uh, I was out of soil activator, so I picked some up yesterday. Um I'm calling it a bioblast. I'm using the soil activator, the Medina, and his uh, beneficial microbes watered in the beds and leave it for about a week before I transplant. Okay, now you say soil activator plus Medina. What's the second Medina product you're including? Well, I meant to say molasses. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, you're doing fine. That sounds like a good plan to me. Get at some point an experiment and judge for yourself. Get a case or at least a gallon of Medina's uh, fish fertilizer product. I am so yeah, I am so impressed with what that's doing with orchids and with uh, some of the bedding plants, some of the periwinkles and things that I've got growing out in the soil. And uh, I would sure give that a shot and see see if it doesn't really start a little activity going there. Okay, Bob, I use that after the what I'm calling the bioblast. I uh-huh. use that at transplant with the Medina. Growing green granule fertilizer uh, oh, you're, under you're, the... You're doing fine. You're doing fine. I just want to get all of those things in the ground to help those little plants out. One thing I've noticed on these raised beds, um, when, I, when I started my biological program, um, there were fire ants in there, but the more biology I get going on in these beds, the fire ants... Yeah, uh, they just move out. They can't handle they all that move biology. out, and this is... And this is out in the middle of nowhere. You yep. know, you'd think they'd want to be in them, in, in those uh, those nice uh, worked-up 
uh, raised beds. Well, with their they just they just like don't like the company of all those microbes that you started moving in. They say, man, there goes the neighborhood. We got to get out of here. Well, that's all right with me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, well, that's all I had for you this morning. I'll get out there and give those uh, boy, those melon vines are taking over the world. Uh, I'll get out there and spray them with that uh, that seaweed and see what blows up. You do it, and uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised at this time of next week. You're not talking about lots and lots and lots of little melons to watch. All right, that's what I'm talking about. You okay, well. keep me posted. How it does, James? Thank you. You're sure welcome. Thank you so much. Bye. All right, time to get back to phone calls. We're going to talk to Thomas, Chicken Joe, George, and Carl. And Thomas is up first. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Uh, I was hoping I'd catch you before you talked to James, but uh, I want to ask you on this uh, Nevada lettuce, how much heat do you think that it'll take for it? I think, and it's just a guess because I have not tried growing it through the summer, I think when we start getting middle to upper 90s, we're going to start seeing problems with it. I'd say, you know, 92, 93, it probably would handle pretty well. 102 this afternoon, it's not going to be happy. Right. Well, what if I uh, put some shade cloths over? I got some in a big, uh, real big, uh, like a molasses tub pot, you know. It would be a good idea. Now, realize that the temperature alone causes some problems, especially with making the, uh, the lettuce bitter but it would certainly improve the growth and certainly decrease the chances of some of the warm weather diseases that tend to get to lettuce when it, uh, when it stays eh, just too hot for it to be happy. Right. Well, I remember James, he, when he first talked about it, he said that it would, uh, was supposed to be a heat tolerant. lettuce. Well, lettuce. you know, heat tolerant <laughs> is a, a relative term. Uh, people in many parts of this country have no idea what heat means to us in South Texas. I always think about when Malcolm Beck went up, I think it was to Rodale, and he was talking to him in one of their experimental gardens, and the guy told him, he said, Malcolm, we are in a horrible drought. It has not rained for two weeks. And so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> those people just don't know what summers can be like for us poor Southerners. Right. Another thing I wanted to ask you, uh, do you know of a, of a good metal, in, metal uh, like a galvanized watering can that, that, will, that you can boil water in? In other words, I, I'm afraid some of them are soldered together, and if you start heating it up, it's going to you know, come apart. What you need to get is just a big coffee pot. Uh, if you can get one of those Bakelite pots that has that uh, kind of blue with little white dots all through it or red with little white dots all through it, those are made to be set over the campfire. You can get them up as big as they'll hold at least a gallon and a half, maybe two gallons. I know, uh-huh. I know friends in Wyoming who put the coffee in and don't change the grounds for a week. One of the reasons that I'm not a big coffee drinker. But um, that, to me, would be your toughest open flame uh, pot that you could use. And I, I say open flame, but that would be on a on electric burner as well. But look for one of those that is, uh, you know, go to REI or go out to Good Sports. Or, um, I'm not a big fan of, uh, gosh, what's the one over in the quarry? Uh, those folks just don't, don't deal in, in quality anymore. But REI most certainly does. They've become my principal source of uh, equipment to take on the trail and I can't afford to have something that fails when I'm 20 miles from the nearest road so I to oh, me yeah, that would 
Yeah. <laughs> that makes that it. online? Or? No, they're actually out on I-10 right there in, I think they call it the Hebner Oat Shopping Center. They're kind of right across the oh, way. Yeah. Um, oh, I can't remember which one it is, but they're on the right-hand side. After you cross the Hebner Road, start watching on the right-hand side. You'll see big collection of stores, and they're on the south side of the parking lot, and um, it's just called REI and good people you don't have to be a member or anything they may ask you to sign up but it doesn't cost anything (laughs) their quality is good and their prices are real good like a big old like these big old enamel coffee pots yeah yeah oh yeah when you're when you're watching your old tv western and they're sitting there with that that pot sitting over there smoky over that fire just percolating away you can buy that same pot very Excuse me, got something happening this morning. Uh, you can buy it very inexpensively, and assuming it doesn't get stepped on by a horse or something else, it should last a lifetime for you. Yeah, that's, okay, good idea. Another thing real quick, you know, I, I'm a fan of yours for many years, you know, and I know better than to pile that mulch around a tree. Thank goodness. But, uh, and I see... <laughs> I see all these big stores, you know, all this stuff. Up. I just shake my head I mean, and. Uh, I mean, they, it looks like they do it on purpose. I you mean, know? they just stack that stuff up around these, these big old oak trees. And I ask them why they do it, and you probably heard me on the air yesterday. I told one of my favorite sayings, which is uh, you know that the speed of light is much faster than the speed of sound. And that's why some people appear bright until you hear them speak. <laughs> and that's the way I feel about a lot of those guys and gals out there treating their trees that way it just makes no sense and if you ask them why they're doing it they have no idea they just shrug their shoulders and say oh i thought you're supposed to do it that way so yeah. uh yeah thank goodness you know better and your trees will benefit from your knowledge well you know I, i've got a, a section of my yard in the back where i've got a a lot of oak trees and a bunch of uh real mature uh loquat trees uh-huh. i don't do anything with it you know the leaves fall but the leaves uh, uh We'll stack up around the truck. I know. Yeah. If you have a little blower, I use one of those lithium-ion battery-powered uh, blowers from steel, and it would take me five minutes to blow the leaves away from 40 or 50 of those plants. And uh, I just, you know, I never thought I'd be a fan of anything running on a battery, but steel has really done it right. Now, I'm not into some of these other companies that are looking to do a cheaper knockoff, but my steel equipment, one battery runs my chainsaw, my leaf blower, my line trimmer, my power pole pruner, uh, my uh-huh. hedge trimmers. It's the same battery. It just makes so much sense to me, and uh, I'll be down in my garden this afternoon whacking some weeds with uh, with that device. So uh, I'll recommend it to you real highly, and uh, that way you don't have to bend over. That way you don't have to strain anything. You stand there and push the trigger, and voila, the mulch moves out of the way. I know what I'm getting at, though, Bob, is, you know, that's that's the way nature does. So what in the forest, all the leaves are going to stack up anyway. But, well, the majority yeah. of the leaves stack up over the roots. It's true some of them stack up around the trunk, but the uh, great majority of them are out over the root system, not right up against the trunk. And, uh, you know, a few little leaves here and there, no big deal. But remember, most of the trees in our yards are already starting out way too deep. And if that tree is starting out with the root flare properly exposed, then an inch or two of leaves, no big deal. But if that if that root flare is already two inches too deep and the leaves pile up two inches above it, all of a sudden we're looking four inches deep and we've got a problem. No, I understand. 
One thing real quick, uh, the row cover, you know, this, uh, like we use in the winter, can that be used for shade cloth? Absolutely. Absolutely. Secure it tightly because we have gotten some gusty winds. But uh, I don't, well, I do use it sometimes just stretched over. I make a little U-shaped uh, metal support. I'll push the ends into the ground at each end of the row, and then I'll just stretch it over the top and, and you know, attach to the ground each side of it. And that works well. I also, you know, sometimes will just wrap it around a cage for the first 18 inches up. But uh, Would that be I, like 30% or? I suspect it would be on the order of 30 35%. And I think one good thing it does, I think it uh, cuts down on the wind. And I think that's pretty much as important as, uh, you know, as just the uh, shade cloth effect, just cutting down on the sun. Stopping that dehydrating breeze that's hitting everything out there at 50 miles an hour this afternoon make a big difference in how things do. Right. Okay. Well, that's good. I just wondered about that. Okay, Bob. You always ask good questions and always enjoy hearing from you. You have a great weekend, and uh, we'll talk again, Thomas. All right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone line. It's going to be Chicken Joe, George, Carl, and West. Good morning, Chicken Joe. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? Well, I kind of wish I was up in Denver with you tomorrow, but uh, we'll make it through. We'll make it through the heat today. It's supposed to cool down substantially tomorrow. Great, great. Well, I'm freezing my tail off right now. Yeah, I don't want to hear about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've got a peach tree question this morning. I I have a young friend who has recently planted a peach tree i guess about a month ago okay and it's lost all its almost all its leaves and the ones that are left are uh, curling up but i'm confident it's not the curly leaf blight i think they call yeah. it yeah at first we thought maybe it was not enough water but it appears to be actually too much water it's in this horrible what i call the denver soil it's like yeah, yeah. It's almost like concrete in the process of manufacture uh, what can we do, if anything, to rescue that tree? I've well, got pretty well, much my standard uh, astragos, super tribe, et cetera, up here. So we're, let me stop talking and listen to you. Well, water the tree, not the soil. Water the top, the bark of the tree, not the roots of the tree. I would use uh, especially the super thrive. You can try a little bit of Garrett juice from Howard Garrett. You can try some of the has to grow. But I'm going to be foliar feeding that tree because that tree just hadn't got much of a root system established yet. And for the first year, that tree has the potential to absorb the great majority of its necessary nutrient material through the leaves rather than through the bark on the, you know, than through the roots. And so I'm going to be out there not wetting the soil because I don't want to keep it too wet. But just, you know, spraying down the foliage on that tree. If I had the opportunity, I'd do it twice a day. Okay. All right, I'll pass that on to her. Now, expect that it's going to look better before it looks worse. I mean, look worse before it looks better. Uh, You've got a lot of damage to the roots, and it's going to continue to go downhill a little bit till it turns the corner, so to speak. So have faith, you know, keep the Super Thrive going. That's probably the most important thing in the mix. And uh, there's just, I know back in the days when I worked with Halton Grimm and we got him fresh bare root trees, we used to try to do that six, eight times a day. And we rarely okay. ever lost a tree. Okay. How, how often should we apply the super thrive? Um, I, you know, I do it every time you can. 
It's <laughs> not going to hurt anything, and uh, you're just using a very tiny amount of it. So uh, there's no way on earth you're going to overdo it. So just uh, do it uh, Do it every time it's convenient for you to do it. And you're talking about foliar application. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, and will it be okay if I lend her like a new tank sprayer and just have the Super Thrive to... In there, the Ab- absolutely. Sprayer. Most all the new sprayers are a polycarbonate plastic material, which absorbs no toxic material. So even if you had inherited this sprayer from someone that used things that you and I would not approve of, I tell you, good rinse. Now, metal sprayers are a different thing. Metal sprayers can absorb some of the really toxic stuff and weed killers, and they are not safe to use. But our good yeah, uh, yeah. plastic sprayers, you just rinse them good, and you use them any way that they will benefit you. Okay, well, these are this is actually a new tank sprayer from Adam, so it should be fine. Should do very well okay. for you. But I got to tell you, I'm really missing those peaches like I got a couple of weeks ago. Well, I you're not the only one. I'll just put it that way. Oh, they're already gone? No, no, they're still out there. Uh, some of us have just been too busy. I need to take some calves to market in Fredericksburg, but... I'm sitting there looking at the calendar and adding up everything I have to get done before the sun goes down and saying, okay, what day can I work that into? Because I'm like you. There's just nothing like a good homegrown. If you don't have it in your own garden, Fredericksburg peaches are absolutely number two. You bet. Well, listen, I'll let you get on to your next caller, and I'll hear you sooner, but I'll see you in July. I will look forward to it, Joe. You have a great uh, a great Sunday, and I'll look forward to our next visit. Uh, next up is going to be George. Good morning, George. Morning. How you doing? I'm good. How about yourself? Well, I'm still standing upright on the ground. That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, what have you got to kill hackberries that grow up in the middle of your fence? Nuclear along, weapons. Along the fence line. Yeah. It is tough. Um, if there's nothing else out there and you're not concerned about kind of sterilizing the soil, you can always use diesel with some molasses mixed in to clean up the diesel. But I'm not going to use that over the root systems of my oak trees or, you know, any other trees that I'm, you know, wanting to protect the roots of. But uh, it's the, the diesel kills, the molasses cleans up the residue left behind by the diesel. And unless you have the patience to girdle and wait a year for the things to die. Uh, that's about the only thing I know of that'll, you know, take care of the blasted hackberries unless you want to dig a hole, you know, 18 inches deep and cut everything down there with a grubbing hoe. Well, I don't want to do that. I need something that's going to be safe for the dogs. Well, and, and you know, this will be safe. You sure don't want to use Remedy or any of the nasty uh, brush oh, killers. No, I already know that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, I just use... Uh, and you can cut them down first if you want, and then put the diesel on top. If you want to girdle them, if you want to strip the bark and then wait up to a year for them to die, you can do that too, and you're using absolutely nothing. But you can't cut it back. You just have to let it sit there, let those roots die, because you're not getting any nutrients from the leaves down to the root system. But uh-huh. uh, it sounds like you've had a good deal of frustration trying to get them to this point. And as long as you're not interfering with the root system of good trees, uh, I just go with a little straight diesel and follow it up with uh, an equivalent amount of uh, agricultural molasses. Uh, okay. Well, that's what I needed to know. Well, I appreciate the call and hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Well, you too. Thank you very much. Thank you, George. Bye. Bye. All right. Let's see here. Next up is going to be Carl. Good morning, Carl. Good morning. Uh, several tomato questions. Okay. Um, uh, most of them, yes, no. Do you keep your 30% up, uh, clothed up all year on tomatoes? 
No, I or, usually take it off in the winter months. I'll okay. usually take it off uh, probably about October, November. Uh, just um, for the I, spring. Yeah, tomatoes. yeah. I I think it makes a stronger plant. Uh, I now okay. I leave the uh, sh- the uh, little bit of insulate that I put around the lower. 12, 14 inches of the plant. I leave that all the time just to cut down on wind. But uh, covering the top of the plant, reducing that intense summer sun, no, I'm going to leave that on until the temperature breaks, and then I'm going to pull it off, clean it up, and put it away for a while. Okay, so it's put up, so when do I put it back on? I have tomato plants growing. In- Today. Okay, all right. Um, do uh, our Cherokee uh, t- tomato, uh, purple tomatoes, uh, weird shaped? Or, or is something wrong with my plants? Well, they are not perfectly shaped, uh, but they are not distorted. I mean, they are pretty heavily lobed. They're going to look a little unusual. They're going to have big, you know, hips up toward where they attach to the uh, stems, but uh, it, they're they're not going to look shriveled and distorted. They're just not going to be round. Okay, but but they should uh, be symmetrical though, or uh, not necessarily. Not necessarily okay. semi-symmetrical, but uh, um, if, you know, one out of a hundred is going to be perfect, and that's the one they're going to take a picture of to put on the Internet. But, you know, 99 out of a hundred are going to leave a little bit desired as far as shape goes and be up there just where you want them on flavor. Okay, because I have some that, that, that look, you know, picture picture quality, and the other ones that are so weird-looking to me. And that you has know, a lot to do with our weird weather this spring. I'm okay. seeing okay. more strange shapes tomatoes out there but there are still a lot of them that go straight off the vine and into my mouth and boy they taste good okay yeah these are taste fine uh, this this is my first year doing this okay good uh, talk about taste is there something other than uh tomato variety and and and, and using organics that, that affects the taste like amount of watering well um, your soil type definitely has some influence on it and that abs- that controls the uptake of a lot of metallic elements that are going to have some effect. I mean, you cannot replicate the soil up around Fredericksburg, and those are some of the best-tasting tomatoes in the world. You can improve it by adding things like lava sand. Uh, there's a product out there called zeolite. There are a lot of things that are very high in micronutrient materials that will very definitely help the flavor but um, the the soil that they're growing in is still going to have an effect on it, and uh, it's just one of the things you say. Gosh, I wish in, I lived in Gillespie County, but you know my tomatoes are sure a lot better than what I, you get at the grocery store. Definitely okay. And the last uh, question is the production zone, or if there is one of tomatoes. It seems to me again, I'm novice, um, so it seems like again. You know, as they're growing, they they put on uh, uh, flowers and then and fruit, and then grows taller. Flowers fruit grows taller. Fruit, but then it doesn't keep fruiting. I mean, once the fruit, the flowers and fruit below uh, produce, there's no more flowers that produce. Well, below what that. what you're looking at is nighttime temperatures. Your large fruited tomatoes, all of them, when those nighttime temperatures get up toward 80 or above, uh, they're pretty much going to stop. They're going to cut back on blooming, and they're pretty much going to stop setting fruit. That's why I always plant a bunch of cherry tomatoes, Juliet, yeah. Sweet 100s, um, yes. and, you know, the a lot of those little ones. I, so Sun Gold is still, uh, when I walk into cool. the garden in the afternoon, the first thing I do is eat about 20 of those, and uh, yes. they sure are good. <laughs> but uh, uh, just as the night temperatures get start getting up toward 80 or above, 
uh, especially big fruit ones are just going to stop setting so many fruit. And okay. All I can do is pray for a little cooler weather. And the, and, the, and the small fruit ones, I have those. Uh, those those two will only uh, fruit in, you know, in, in a zone, and then it's going to move up in that zone, and then that zone, that zone. It right? should be it should be fruiting almost all the way from the ground up to within eighteen inches of the top of the plant. But once the fruit is mature below, yeah. will there be more flowers that will regrow there? Uh, no, the the growth, the flowering okay. is going to be pretty much up above. Now, okay. if your big tomato stem decides to branch and put out new growth, yeah, you may get more fruit down low. But if you're looking at a stem that's 18 inches tall, the fruit set is going to very definitely, you know, appear working its way up that principal stem. That's what I wanted. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are a good question asker, Carl. I appreciate the call. And you have a, a wonderful Sunday afternoon. We will talk again. All right, let's get back to gardening here. We are going to talk to Wes first, then it will be Robert and Frank, and I'll get you that last name in just a minute. Good morning, Wes. Hello, Bob. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Doing very well. I have a garden-related question. I was forced to take out a massive Buford holly plant, and I collected the rounds from my son who was in the wood turning, and he tells me that American holly is prized wood wood for turning. Uh-huh. But uh, we can't find out whether Buford holly is considered to be American holly, or is there a difference? There are dozens of kinds of holly. It's the genus Ilex, I-L-E-X. I would say that it's actually Burford rather than Buford. But uh, Burford holly is a good hard wood. You know, I've never dried it. I don't know how bad the checking problem is. That's That's the problem we see on so many types of wood is that uh, you better paint the ends when you cut it into uh, sections that you're going to put on your lathe or wherever, because if not, it will check. It will split up and down. But uh, I believe that if you can find straight enough uh, pieces of trunk to be able to turn them, uh, you you should make a pretty good good piece of wood for you. These pieces are about three to four feet long and about eight inches in diameter, so they're really nice pieces. Yeah. Like I said, it was a massive tree. I hated to take it out, but we had to. Um, So we just didn't want to go to all the trouble to dry it and find out that it's it's not really holly. (laughs) Well, it it is a holly. Um, Look at um, Chinese holly, Ilex chinensis, because Burford is actually just one of many varieties of Chinese holly. And see what they say about Ilex chinensis, the Chinese holly. Uh, if they're saying that that is good for woodworking, then your Burford would be ideal. Very good. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. Let me know how it turns out. All right. Thank you, sir. You're sure welcome. Bye. Thank you, Wes. Goodbye. All right. To the top of the board is going to be Robert, Frank, and Madeline. And Robert's up first. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself this morning? I'm doing just fine good hey i have a question for you we've got um we bought a new place out towards bergheim kind of out in the hill country a beautiful part and, of the world yes it is and um the previous owners basically had wrapped some hog wire kind of around the trunks of several new trees to kind of keep the bucks from basically rubbing all the bark off right during the right. rut well i removed all of those just because of the potential of what i'm about to tell you is that in one area he wrapped it so tight 
that basically the bark is starting to grow around mm-hmm. the hog wire. Yeah. Um, you know, I know you've talked about girdling a tree, and then basically that's kind of what I think this is going to do eventually. That's, yeah, that's what's going to happen. What you need to do, and do this very carefully, is take a wood chisel, and about every six inches along that piece of wire, you know, chisel down in there to where you can get your, I use bolt cutters is what I use to cut hog wire with. And whether you can get the piece of wire actually out or not, I'm not real concerned with. But I'd be cutting that wire into four to five inch lengths. And you're going to find that the, that the tree, as it continues to grow, is going to start pushing that wire outward. And it's not going to be nearly as severe if it remains attached, if it continues to, in effect, cut into the wood. So uh, it's a great question. I think it's very important that you get in there and cut. Do it carefully. Wear your safety glasses. Uh, wear, you know, protective whatever. Because sometimes when you cut, whether it's wire, whether it's rope, whether it's polypropylene cord, sometimes it breaks almost explosively and it can throw stuff back at you. So this is something you're not going to do with the Sawzall or reciprocating saw. This is something you're going to do with your bolt cutters and you're going to wear eye protection. You're going to do it very carefully. Okay. And then I was, the other question I was going to ask, I've seen um, other people basically take kind of that black corrugated like French drain pipe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Basically split it down one side. Uh-huh. Would that be a good application to kind of keep the deer from trashing the um, oh, It's, it's the a trees? great way to do it, whether you use the white plastic or the black plastic. And, uh, uh, you know, you'll have to secure it. And eventually that trunk will outgrow it. But uh, that's probably the easiest and best thing you can do. You're going to want to get a fairly light scheduled pipe. You're going to want, you know, schedule... Uh, no more than Schedule 40. You may, you know, see if you can find Schedule 60, which is going to be a lot more flexible, but uh, uh, it's a great thing to use. Okay, excellent. That answers my questions. Well, good questions they are. You get out and have a great afternoon, Robert. You do the same. Thank Thank you. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Bye. All right, let's get Frank in here before the news break. Good morning, Frank. Hey, you know, Bob, I'm just wondering, my, my tomatoes are growing like crazy. But something, it's a bird or a squirrel or whatever, just as soon as they start turning red, they get eaten in. Yeah. A hole's dug in them. Can I take those off before they're completely ripe and let them ripen in the house? You certainly can. They won't be quite as good as you le- as if you left them on the plant, but uh, they'll be a whole lot better than if you let the varmints chew or peck a hole into them. Uh, just, you know, leave them on there as long as you feel like you can. Now, there are some netting materials and things like that that you can put over that will will stop them at least to some degree. But, uh, you know, it's the same thing we do in the fall when freezing weather approaches. We're going to bring them in and ripen them inside because they're still going to be better than anything you buy in the grocery store. All right. All right. I sure think. I called yesterday out to the store. They told me about that Epsom salts for a little dead spots on the bottom of them in there. Yeah, that blossom end rot. It's uh, what you got there. It causes blossom end rot as an imbalance in uh, calcium and magnesium. Epsom salts takes care of that in a hurry. It does not change the fruit that already has some blossom end rot, but it'll keep the newer tomatoes from developing it. Okay. All right, Bob. Well, I sure thank you, and I'll talk to you again when I need you. <laughs> I appreciate the call. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Bye-bye. Frank. Bye. And uh, let me just uh, go back to the phone lines right now and say good morning to Madeline. Good morning, Madeline. Good morning, Bob. 
I'm I'm out here looking at my tree. <laughs> okay. It's a living pine tree. Okay. And all of a sudden now, I see all these roots are coming out the bottom part of it. Can I cut those off? I wouldn't. Does it hurt the tree? Yeah, I wouldn't cut them off. It's perfectly normal for a pine tree to put on a bunch of roots right there pretty close to ground level. And those are roots that not only feed and nourish the tree, but they also help keep it upright in big storms and things. So, no, I'm afraid I would uh, just be careful not to trip on them. But uh, your tree needs every one of those things. So uh, I'm just going to leave them alone and let them grow. Well, they were in here a couple of months, I mean, a month or so ago, you know. I said, look at all these yeah. branches we got. Yep. You know, and it shouldn't, but the, the pines always come down anyhow. Oh, they, you know? they always do that. Pines, you know, yeah. first thing you know, they'll have 30 feet of bare trunk up there and nice bushy little top up there. But um, it's perfectly normal for them to have a ro- lot of roots just right there at ground level, and you uh-huh. just want to leave them alone. Expose the air. Don't cover them up with mulch. Don't bury them with dirt. Uh, just say have at it, and uh, I'm going to avoid you with my lawnmower. All right. Okay. I just want to make sure. Uh, well, I'm I'm, I'm getting you out of a little bit of work today, so uh, <laughs> you get out and find something else to do, Madeline. Okay. Thank you. You're certainly welcome. Thank you for the call. Bye. All right. Uh, Carmen is up next, and then it will be Bela and Mike. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning, Bob. How are y'all? Good I'm morning. good. I'm yeah. doing okay. Good. I have a recipe that someone gave me to ask you about, so I thought I'd call. Okay. It's supposed to be a natural, organic, miracle grow for, for plants. It's supposed to be a gallon of water, a table, a teaspoon of Epsom salt, I believe, or a tablespoon. Okay. And the same thing with baking soda, and and <clears throat> excuse me, and half a teaspoon. I, I can't read it right. Or half a tablespoon of ammonia. Is that? Good for plants. I know the Epsom salt is because we use it for vegetables and right. roses. You know, but, it's not bad, but it's not as good as one of the Medina products or one of the Espoma products. It's, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, you know, getting out somebody's recipe for chocolate cake. And I doubt very much that any recipe you find on the Internet is going to be good as your mother's or your grandmother's chocolate cake. So you can try it if you like, and it's probably not going to be mad, not going to be bad. But I have an idea. Karma makes a pretty darn good chocolate cake that would be hard to improve on. <laughs> and that's the way I feel about Espoma fertilizers, Medina fertilizers, Nature's Creation right. fertilizers. When you've already got everything you need in one bottle, why do you want to make it more complicated? Exactly. I was. That's, I thought about that, but I thought, you know, they asked me, and they know I talk to y'all all the time, so I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. So, anyway, well, you know, I'm always happy to hear from you, and I always <laughs> want to uh, make the work you have to do go as quickly and easily as possible, so you can find more fun things to get into. Exactly. Thank you so much, Bob. Appreciate it. It's Thank my you. great pleasure. Thank you, Carmen. Bye. And goodbye. Bye. All right, let's see here. It is Bela, Mike, and Alan at this point, and Bela is first. Good morning, Bela. Hey, this is Bela. How are you doing? I'm good. How about you today? Just fine. Good. Hey, I've got a question for you. I live out in Spring Branch, uh-huh. and we are looking to replace a couple of bushes that we keep behind a fence because the deer are going to attack them, but we want to replace those with some flowering bushes that maybe get about three feet tall okay. that deer will not attack. Well, good luck on that one. Um, <laughs> okay. you know, about the, there are sprays that you can put on. There are you know fences that you can build 
but there are not a whole lot of things that deer will just automatically avoid, especially when it comes to things with flowers on them. I mean, I can think of some great plants. I can think of perennials like shrimp plant, like several different forms of salvia, salvia gregii, salvia farinacea, salvia leucantha, salvia indigo spires. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And the deer don't really like these, but they may go over and take a chomp off the top just to see what they taste like. They have very short memories, and they, I think they sit out there and say, well, it didn't taste good yesterday. Let's see if it tastes any different today. And, um, right. I, you know, there, there are a number of things that are deer-resistant, like most of the salvias, like most of your skullcaps, most of your kufias. But the other thing that you have to look at is how many deer do you have. If we had a reasonable number of deer in the hill country, you wouldn't have much problem with your plants. The biologists tell me the healthy carrying capacity of the Texas hill country is somewhere around uh, 800,000 deer. Currently, we have like 15 million or something like that. So we just got to get rid of a lot of deer, whether we shoot them, whether we raise the speed limit, whether we trap them and take them elsewhere, or whether we eat more venison. Uh, As long as we have such an overpopulation and as long as the deer are desperately hungry, um, I don't know about you. I've been on the trail a time or two when I was pretty darn hungry and anything in that soup pot really look good to me and that's kind of the way the deer are they're sitting here thinking gosh you know that's not the best stuff but man it's better than nothing so i can tell you things that are deer resistant but deer proof uh they're just a handful of things they're things like viburnum suspensum they're things like mountain laurel uh there's some salvias uh like uh gregii some salvias like uh, leucantha that deer really don't like but it just depends on how overpopulated you are with deer and how hungry they are Right. Okay. Okay. And do salvias you're talking about grow around three feet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, things that I would put in that category are shrimp plant. Uh, I would say that, uh, oh gosh, uh, the salvia gregii would fit in that. Salvia leucantha is going to get just a little bit taller. Salvia mystic spires is going to be right in that size range. Kufia David Verity is going to be right in that size range. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned shrimp plant. That's going to be good. Uh, gum, uh, not gumfrina, but uh, the yellow flowered. Uh, have to think on that one for just a second. But uh, yeah, there are there are lots of different things, and a lot of annual plants like most of your periwinkles are very very deer resistant. But a deer can't take a bite out of something. It can't bite a little piece of a leaf and taste it. It has to grab that leaf, turn its head, and rip that leaf off to get a bite out of it. And that's why most people say, oh, the deer are pulling up my plants. No, they're not intentionally pulling up your plants. You're just trying to rip off a leaf to see what it tastes like. Yeah, okay. Now, the Esperanza, that's not one that they'll... It's moderately deer-resistant. The Pride of Barbados is even more deer-resistant. Okay. Okay, well, that kind of gives me an idea as to, you know, what direction, but we're, you know, I understand about, about, you know, if they're hungry, yes, they're going to come after us. So I do understand that. Go, go take a trip through Fair Oaks Ranch. Now you can't, unless you happen to know the guard and they, they're not real friendly sometimes, but go drive through Fair Oaks Ranch and just study what people are planning out there because they have the worst problem with over deer population of anywhere that I know of. And what you're going to see is a lot of viburnum suspensum, a lot of Mount Laurel, a lot of periwinkle, and you can say, hey, I really like that. Let me figure out what it is. Okay, great idea. All right. 
that sounds great. That's the only question I had. Uh, you call me anytime you have them. And always good to talk to you, Bella. We'll talk again. And uh, let's see. No, I've got time to take another call here. Let's talk to uh, let's talk to Mike. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. What a beautiful morning. We it have. most definitely is. It's the afternoon I'm a little concerned about. Uh, you can tell Carmen that was just uh, was on the radio that uh, uh, I think I've had fairly good luck with uh, deer and rabbit be gone. There are or, some uh, good products out there. The uh, liquid fence works pretty well. Most of it smells just absolutely horrible, uh, but yeah. there are some good repellents out there. You're right. Some of just the cedar side products work very well. Well, my gardenias will overrun the uh, smell of the deer and rabbit be gone. Yep. Yep. The question I have for you this morning, I've been having just recently uh, lots of uh, 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 grasshoppers, mm. and some of my leaves uh, are getting chomped on. Yep. Do you have a good remedy for grasshoppers and other varmints? Um, are you good with a BB gun? Um, <laughs> you know, a couple of simple things you can do. Uh, you can put out bird feeders. Birds eat a lot of grasshoppers. The bacterial poison that we like to use, which is a product Nosema locustri, is just not out there right now. The family that was making it decided to retire. I'm told that it will be back on the market, and I'm anxiously waiting for that to happen uh for now probably the best thing you can do is go to a hobby shop and buy what they call kaolin k-a-o-l-i-n kaolin clay it's like a modeling clay that's very gritty very abrasive uh you mix it to the point with water that's kind of fluid that it will go through a sprayer you spray it on the leaves of those plants and the grasshoppers won't eat them it just tears up their innards Huh, it is K-A-O-L-I-N. Yeah, Kaolin Clay. You can buy it under, you know, a name which is Surround, S-U-R-R-O-U-N-D, Surround W-P, as in wettable powder. But they must be proud of that name because they charge you about six times as much for it if you buy it under that name. Under Surround. Yeah. And uh, this Kaolin Clay, where, where do I get that? A hobby oh, shop? Hobby shop. Uh, they use it as a modeling uh, clay. Potters use it all the time. Uh, should be very inexpensive, and uh, uh, I don't know whether to tell you Hobby Lobby or if you know any potters out there, anybody that throws pots, uh, they'll be able to tell you where you can get it in quantity at a reasonable price. Okay, and you mix that with water? To you mix that with water, make it soupy enough that you can spray it on or pour it on with a watering can. Um, you mix it to where you're just coating the leaves because grasshoppers take a bite of a leaf that has that on it, and they stop feeding and pretty much get sick and die. Okay, well, I, I thank you very much for that. That's all I had for now. Well, you know where to find me when you think of something else, Mike. I'll probably call back later on and say, oh, what did I forget now? Uh, that's what I'm here for. Have a great thank Sunday. Thank you very much, Bob. You're sure well. You as well. All right, it's going to be Robert and Alan and Kathy and Gary, and uh, Robert's up first. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you today? I'm just hanging in there pretty well. Well, hang hang in. It's the right answer later this afternoon. I think yeah, I'm yeah, I'm already drinking my electrolytes, and uh, I think I got a little dehydrated yesterday, and I'm paying for that a little bit this morning, but uh, going to be a lot of electrolytes continuing to pour into my system through the day today. 
Well, I tell you, it's uh, the older I get, I got, I think, dehydrated a little severely a few weeks back, and yeah. I'm still struggling in the heat more than normal. Well, uh, it takes a while for your body to recuperate from uh, I, not drinking enough fluids. Yeah, I unloaded that semi at 5.30 today and then thought, yuck, I don't feel real good, but... You know, it starts getting better immediately, but uh, it's just a big-time reminder. We've had a nice, pleasant, semi-rainy, semi-cool spring, but uh, don't take it for granted. You better take care of your body or uh, it'll it'll rise up and make you wish you had. Yes, sir. couple unrelated questions. First, bananas. Yeah. Any particular need for fertilizers or what type of fertilizers? If just, I, the, These are producing at this point. Uh, anything in the organic world is going to be just fine for bananas. Main thing you need is water, water, and more water. Okay. Simple enough. Yeah. Um, have a peach tree. Been in the ground. I think, I think this was a replacement tree. Uh-huh. And I think I planted it last fall. Okay. Topped it. To get you know uniform production coming out, it's basically the top of the tree. It's grown to one side. Uh huh. Can I re-top it? Just cut it yeah. off again, or yeah. is that's it what pruning prune, that? that's what pruning shears are made for. I okay. wish that you had done this about two months ago because right I'll now, wait. yeah, it, yeah, it just I'll every wait till next spring. Well, wait till next fall when the leaves fall off okay. the tree. You know they're through. Your leaves are just your energy factory for the tree. And you want to take away as few leaves as possible during that season while those leaves are converting the sun's energy into chemical energy and helping your peach tree grow. So as soon as those leaves start falling off, which is probably going to be October, November, if you keep it watered and fed, uh, anytime from then through February is when I'm going to be out there with the shears. And I'm going to be pretty brutal. Most people don't prune enough. I... Uh, I always remember my grandfather who started in the nursery business shortly after World War One, and the company he went to work for, the supervisor took him out, put him out on, uh, I think, Lover's Lane or Oak Lawn in uh, Dallas and told him to prune all these shrubs in the middle of the road. He came back about two hours later and he said, Rydell, you did a good job. Go back and cut that much more off of them and you'll be through. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's just something you, you want to do selectively, but um, especially the first two, three years, fruit trees are in the ground. You really need to be pretty, pretty vigorous with your pruning. Well, but can I take the top completely off sure. as I would do on a new growth? Yeah. Or, you know, because, I mean, my, all my other peach trees are, you know, they're, they're scaffold. I, you know, did per, per your direction. I'm I'm able to cut things without worrying about it if it's the right thing to do. Yeah. No, so, I'd, I'd go for it. Okay. Okay. I'll do that in the fall. Yeah. And that's it, sir. Thank you very much as always. Well, you stay cool, stay hydrated, and call me whenever you have a question, Robert. All right. Bye. Bye. Alan's next. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Today? I'm doing pretty well today. How about yourself? Doing real well. Do we need to put an IV in you today or what? Um, no, I, unless you fill it with a uh, very good margarita or something like that, that, that might be a good thing. But for right now, I'm just planning on, uh, uh, not spending as much time in the sun as I did yesterday. Well, that sounds like a plan. Stay in the shade. Two quick ones. Uh, we've got some blossom in rot and I, uh, I've garden. I've got, uh, uh, squash, uh-huh. I've got yellow squash and, uh, and we've got, and a little bit on the tomatoes. We, okay. Uh, 
beautiful garden. Everything's been going fine. Okay. okay. But I saw on YouTube where a lady mixed milk and water and sprayed that on there. What are your thoughts there? I don't think it does a lot of good, but here's what you need to know. Uh, Blossom end rot does not affect tomato or does not affect squash. It does not affect cucumbers. It does not affect melons. You will get something that looks like blossom end rot, which is just a soft, mushy, you know, into the fruit. But blossom end rot is that is exclusive to tomatoes, and it is a problem that is uh, created by an imbalance in uh, calcium and magnesium. Uh, and that's what you correct with Epsom salts. When you start seeing that, uh, imagine with me what a zucchini squash looks like. How many yeah. how many seeds do you think that zucchini is going to have inside of it? Oh, my God, a bunch, yeah. Okay, so let's say 400. Uh, okay. Every seed that is in that zucchini is a product of having one pollen grain land on the female part of the flower, which is what we call the stigmatic surface. If you okay. could take a microscope and slice through uh, the central part, it's called the column of the flower, you would uh-huh. see 400 little pollen tubes growing down into the little ovary of the plant, as it were, fertilizing the, the seed that's in there, and you're going to have nice, nice squash develop. Okay, so what happens when you your squash says, I want 400 seeds, and you only get 200 pollen grains on there? It's going to develop the first half of the squash, and then the second half where uh, seeds did not get formed, did not get pollinated by these little pollen tubes growing down through there, uh, it's just going to rot, turn brown and soft, and the whole squash is going to rot and go bad on you. So when you, yeah, yeah, what you, when you see that sort of thing happening on your squash, it's poor pollination. Now, what it will look like on cucumbers, your cucumber will start to make a normal-looking cucumber, and then it'll make this structure that looks like a little rat tail. I mean, that cucumber's two inches thick, and then you've got yeah. this thing that's three-eighths of an inch thick and just sticking out on the end that just looks terrible. And yeah. once again, that's just inadequate pollination. So you can control blossom end rot on your tomatoes with Epsom salts, but on your squash, on your cucumbers, on your melons, you've got to increase the pollination. That may mean getting out there with an artist paintbrush and pollinating yourself. It may mean doing whatever you can to encourage more pollinators into the garden. But hey, we've got uh, some beautiful, beautiful uh, blossoms and blooms yeah. on those plants. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, they just they just need a little sex to keep them going, or a lot of yeah, it is to keep them going, and so often. Uh, in today's world, uh, we've, uh, and I say we, not you and me, but a lot of less intelligent people out there have killed out so many of the pollinators that what you're describing right. has become a very common problem for the home gardener. All right. Well, I'll do that then. Quick, Another quick question. Uh, the uh, watering. We've got trees that uh, <clears throat> we've been in the ground. Two, I've got some maples out here, the big tooth maples. They're about a year and a half old. How often would you water those guys right now? I would be feeling the soil. I would be mulching the soil, not up against the trunk, but over the root zone. When that soil is dry about an inch deep under the mulch, I would be watering. And what you have to remember, and uh, most people understand this, unfortunately there are a few out there who don't get it, but there is no such thing as too much water. There is too often so when you water that maple, when you water those tomatoes, when you water those zucchinis, you right. want to just absolutely flood it. You want that plant to, you know, pretty much just be swimming in water, literally, 
but then okay. you don't water again until that soil's dry about an inch deep. How much that is will depend on your soil type, will depend on the wind, will depend on the temperature. So there's no way on earth I would not trust anybody that tells you to do it every other day or every third day. Uh, I just have to tell you how to check the soil and when to water. I tell you what, that just answered my question. I appreciate you so much, as we all do. Well, if you need to practice, you if you need to practice, you can come over to my garden because I let my eggplant get a little too dry. Past couple of busy days, but they sure were happy to see me out there with hoes yesterday. Well, I work there in Bernie at uh, Main Street Urgent Care. Okay, Sundays I'm headed to work, so uh, I'd like to meet you sometimes. Well. Um, the places that you find me most commonly are if I'm doing a radio broadcast somewhere or, uh, one of the groundwater district meetings, I'm the elected representative in precinct one of Kendall County. So, uh, you'll find me next Sunday evening, six o'clock out at the groundwater district office. And, uh, uh our board president, my mom, Michael, and I put on periodically, uh, seminars free of charge at the uh, Bernie library right. to help people learn more about their, uh, about their water and uh i'm out there i'm not avoiding you i just have a lot of things to do i know what i'd love to see you at your nursery one day too i'm there five days a week usually thank you very much i appreciate it my pleasure alan thank you sir goodbye All right, let's get back to gardening here. Looking at my board, it's all full. We're going to talk to Kathy, Gary, and then to Margaret and Robin. So Kathy's at the top of the list. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How about you today? Good. I have uh, quite a few butterfly iris uh, that I've had since last minute, but uh, we had to replace two from this lab. We're in Bernie. Okay. And had to replace two of them that... uh, got hit hard on that last frost yep and the two that i replaced um they started getting brown leaves and uh on the the different areas of it not just in the middle but kind of all around and when i went to uh pull them off i noticed down in the center of the plant and the plant just doesn't look healthy the the leaves are kind of a dull green okay uh, there's a white, uh, I don't know if it's like a fungus, It's a, but just a little white uh, matter that's mm-hmm. on the very base of it where they come into the plant or where they grow out of the root there. Yeah, yeah I, I think that um, you've got a couple of things going on. You probably planted your new plants just a little bit too deep uh, with butterfly iris, uh, any of the different forms of it. Uh, it wants to be planted a little high rather than a little too low. And it watering is really critical. Once butterfly iris is in the ground for a year or so, um, it is very, very drought tolerant, very, very resilient. That first year, while it's getting its roots established, it wants to be watered twice as often while you don't water the plants around it. So you need to look very carefully and see if you feel like these things got put a little bit too deeply into the ground. Uh, If so, it may be even necessary to dig them up, raise them up an inch, inch and a half, and replant them because it sounds to me like they're just a little deep. Soil is washing in around them. Uh, There's water standing around the crown, and that will ultimately lead to the whole top rotting, and you'll be looking to plant some more butterfly iris. Okay, all right. Is, is there, uh, other than raising them, uh, we've been putting some has to grow on it, uh, uh-huh. 
I didn't know if there was anything that we could do to uh, help it uh, get over its problem or beside raising it. Well, if you've got a plastic bag over your head, the first thing you need to do is take the bag off your head. And okay. then you can talk about the things that are going to make you feel better. But that's got to be done before you do anything else or you're just wasting your time with uh, other remedial things. So get out there and look. And with any plant, but especially these African iris, the butterfly iris, the bicolor iris, um, all of those, if in doubt, plant them too high rather than too low. They'll do just fine. But you plant them too low, they will rot in the middle, and you'll reach down and lift up on a leaf, and you'll have the whole little group of six or eight leaves just pull out, and they're rotten and brown at the base exactly what it's doing and is there a big difference between the the type of flower from the african iris to the bicolor iris well the the, uh, butterfly iris is an african iris the uh, bicolor iris the butterfly iris these are all different forms of butterfly iris the the true butterfly iris is going to be um oh sort of a combination of a blue a yellow even a little bit of pink in the flower. The bicolor iris is going to be basically chestnut brown and yellow, and there is a different form, and I'm trying to remember what the name of it is, that has uh, uh, more orange in that bicolor uh, iris flower. So uh, the plants, the growth is very similar, the care is very similar, but the appearance of the flowers is very definitely different. Okay, very good. Well, thank you so much, and have a good day. You do the same, Kathy. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Goodbye. All right, let's see here. Let me study the numbers up there. They tell me that Gary's been waiting longest, so good morning, Gary. Good morning, Bob. I have a a need for a chigger remedy that my wife and I can apply before we go out today. Okay. Um, there are uh, there are some cedar oil products uh, that you can use. Uh, I use a lemon oil eucalyptus product by uh, it's called Murphy's Natural. Uh, my grandmother made us take old dusting sulfur and dust it into our socks, and we didn't smell very good, but we never got chiggers. And um, those are the principal things that are going to keep the chiggers from ever getting after you. Any of the good insect repellents are going to work against chiggers. You've got just got to slather them on your legs, and uh, if you start getting into waist-high Johnson grass, you got to go a little higher with them. Well, I do appreciate that information. You know, I was a city city kid. My mom was the had eleven other siblings. Grew up out in the country, uh-huh. and whenever we would go to see my grandparents, my grandmother had a little different remedy. She said, "Stay on the porch or stay inside and play dominoes." And that's not a that's not a very nice thing to tell a young man that loves being out in nature. <laughs> I know, but I appreciate the information. Well, it's Thank always you. a pleasure. I appreciate the call, Gary. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, let's see here. Next up is going to be Margaret. Uh, Good morning, Margaret. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? Good, good, good. I've got a question about nematodes. I have used nematodes faithfully in my yard for control of fleas, Uh but this year they don't seem to be working. Well, there are a lot of nematodes, or there are a lot of fleas out there. Um, mm-hmm. I, as, as Dr. Kirby says, I had the same discussion with him earlier in the week and he said, mm-hmm. there are so many fleas out there that right now they're pretty much just overwhelming whatever you do. The nematodes will control them. It's just taken a little bit longer because we have had mm-hmm. the perfect, the perfect storm, so to speak, for 
getting chiggers, for getting fleas, for getting, uh, thank goodness we haven't started seeing too many grub worms yet, but uh, mm-hmm. the nematodes are still the best thing going, and they will do the job, but it's, you know, it's like a sold uh, like a company of soldiers going up against a battalion of the enemy it's going to take a little while if it's u.s marines they're going to win but it's not going to happen Mm -hmm. overnight and should i apply them more often like every couple weeks if you if you have applied them effectively no you don't Mm -hmm. need to applying them effectively means that the soil is moist because the nematodes Mm -hmm. move in a film of water at first it means being sure your nematodes are fresh and uh, mm-hmm. it means, you know, being sure that you're using the appropriate number of them. Million nematodes should treat about a thousand or about two thousand square feet. So you apply right. them properly, and you know this problem didn't show up overnight, and unfortunately, it doesn't end immediately. My experience right. has always been once the nematodes kick in and get them under control, it's usually two, three months, or actually two or three mm-hmm. years before I have to think about mm-hmm. doing it again. Okay. And what about putting like a DE, um, cause like we, around our fence line, because our neighbors don't do anything to control the fleas. If it, so we've been putting DE around the fence line. DE is very effective as long as it's dry. But if okay. it gets watered, if it gets rained on, it is has no effect whatsoever, you know, when it gets mm-hmm. wet. So, yes, I love using DE in dry places. I use it in the garage. I use it around the dog beds. Mm-hmm. I use it in my right. barn. But if it's out somewhere that it's going to get rained on, not going to be nearly as effective. And it doesn't bother the nematodes? No, not in the least. No. If there's enough okay. moisture uh, to keep your plants alive, there's enough moisture to keep your nematodes alive. And nematodes are totally unaffected by the abrasive qualities of DE. Okay. All right. Well, that's it. Thank you so much. Wish I had an easier answer, but you and me and everybody out there is really having a time with fleas this year. But keep in oh, there. I know. You'll I've get them done. i Kirby's office about two or three times. Yeah, oh, you and me both. I'm, I'm in there once or <laughs> twice a week, and my business partner uh, told me, now ask Nan about this and that this today about the, about the fleas, so we're all fighting mm-hmm. them. Okay. Well, thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Margaret. Thank you for the call. You have a good day. You too. And goodbye. Bye. All right. Back to gardening. It's going to be Robin and Dan and Don and Tana. And uh, Robin's up first. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Hey, I've got um, a uh, Myers Lemon bush and i put it this is its second season to grow okay it's about two and a half feet tall and it looks really good and it had little baby tiny lemons on it um a month ago i guess Uh uh-huh and now and now they all fell off you know (laughs) it had no lemons on there and it it probably that tree is just too young to support a crop of lemons Uh, There are a lot of plants that, you know, kind of their ambition outweighs their ability. And plants will tend, had it only set three or four lemons, or had you thinned out all except three or four lemons, they probably would still be on there. But those lemons are sitting there saying, my gosh, I can't can't put up with all this. I can't have 50 children, you know, when I'm a 16-year-old mom. And so it's a very normal thing. The good news is that as... The lemon tree drops a lot of those lemons. It's going to put on twice mm-hmm. as much growth. 
it's going to be able to support mm-hmm. a much bigger crop of lemons next year. But it's not anything you're failing to do. It's just, you know, we all, we plant a plant and we want it to be full grown and producing immense amount of fruit, you know, two weeks after we put it in the ground. And uh, uh, even in my garden, it does not work that way. I am humbled on a daily basis about how things in the garden do. Right. Okay. Well, that makes me feel a lot better because otherwise it looks fine. How the the foliage looks good, uh, you know, everything. Yeah. You're doing just fine, Robin. You just... uh, Uh, you just were given false hope by what that tree was doing, but I'm not at all surprised. And, um, uh, I, I, I see that as being a perfectly normal thing. What do you suggest for fertilizer? Any good organic product. You can use Medina's Growing Green. You can use Nature's Creations, um, premium lawn food. You can use Maestro Grows, uh, Texas tea, any good organic fertilizer. It's it's like saying that the only thing that you get to eat is prime rib, but you know it's uh, you can eat an awful lot of good uh, pork. You can eat an awful lot of good fish. You can eat a lot of other good things. So uh, there's no one fertilizer I'm going to tell you is the best thing out there. Anything okay. that's organic should do very well for your lemon tree. And how often should I do it? Do you think if you're using a liquid, I'd be using it once a month. If you're using a dry product, I'd be using it about four times a year. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for that information. Well, you are sure welcome. And next time you're planting citrus, plant a lime tree along with your lemons because lemons do all their blooming in the spring and they produce all their uh, fruit at one time in the fall. A lemon can, or lime can produce flowers almost any time through the growing season, and it can make limes for you to pick all the way from July through November. So with a lime tree, if the tree has decided, hey, I just can't make lemons this year, um, or, or right now, then two months later, uh-huh. it may say, oh gosh, things have changed. Uh, let me set a bunch more fruit and you'll have plenty of limes to pick. But lemons, it's all the, all the pollination is done at one time. All the picking is done at one time, uh, with limes and also with, uh, you know, some of your satsumas, uh, the harvest season, the fruit set season occurs over a much longer period of time. Okay. All right. Thank I want you, you so picking, much. I want you picking good citrus out there in the very near future. Me too. Okay. Thank you, Bob. You're sure welcome, Robin. Thank you. All right. It's going to be Dan and Don and Tana, and Dan's next. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for everything you do. Well, it's my great pleasure. Thank you for calling, giving me an opportunity to talk about stuff. Yeah, I hope you're doing good today. You sound like your throat's a little rough. Well, you know, I just sometimes uh, get reminded that uh, I take on and do too much, and uh, that's just <laughs> one of those days, but I'll take it a little easier today, and tomorrow will be a better day. Eat, I know the feeling. Drink plenty of those electrolytes and stay out of the sun, and uh, uh, it's not anything that hasn't happened before, and it's not anything that won't happen again. Well, you use your throat a lot, too, on top of all that, but... Uh, yeah. Well, listen, I, I just have one simple question. I've gone through a couple uh, water timers for my irrigation last uh-huh. year. So what is the best one, or what do you recommend? So are you using a timer that you just hook a hose onto, or are you using an electric valve, something we call a solenoid valve? It's got uh, like two AA batteries or something like that. Great AA battery, maybe this. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm afraid that I... I just, 
those things just aren't entirely reliable, and if they work well right. the first week, they not, may not work well the first month. I go ahead and use a Rainbird multi-station timer, the one I have in my vegetable garden. I believe it's a 12-zone right. timer, and uh, it plugs in, you know, 110-volt outlet. Uh, it is a low oh, voltage. Right. I've got a, you know, a solenoid valve, an electric valve on each of the lines in my garden, and uh, wow. those Rainbird uh, controllers have programs where I can set them to come on once, twice, or three times a day. I can set one set of lines to water Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and the others to water Tuesday, Saturday only. So I go ahead and spend the money, and I'm using the same controller I've used for the past 10 years. Well, uh, I'd have to run an extension cord to get it outside. I don't think that's practical. But I, the one last one I use, and they usually last a couple of years, but the digital display always gets kind of fouled up. And right. I got one that's called a Do It Best, and uh, it was, you know, 30, 40 bucks. Yeah. Anyway, so you don't. There's no battery power that you know of that's pretty dependable. I don't have a favorite there. You know, I uh, I'm in town an awful lot, but uh, we do some. You know, we do a nurseryman show in Oregon. We do a big gift market in Atlanta. We do you know different things around the country. And I just for years I'd leave town and come back to a dead garden. And so I thought, you know, right. hundred bucks is not too much to pay to come back to a garden that's, that's as good as when I left it. And uh, um, it was a fairly easy process. I had an old uh, uh, phone pole out there, and my, you know it's so much easier in, in the country than it is in town. My electrician uh, just ran a line over to it, put a street light on it so I could work at night, and ran it down to a double 110 outlet at the base, and my gardening got a lot easier. So if I run a line out in there, yeah, you just got to keep everything protected from the weather as far as electric outlet, etc. You know, there are so many good outlets out there that uh, that yeah. are weatherproof, and uh, they're made to have something plug in. And most of those timers, most of those controllers are uh, kind of a flat plug where the cord comes out to the side, and that plays in real well to that plastic cover that's over, you know, the good outlets nowadays. All righty. Well, that's that's terrific uh information i'll let somebody get on the line thank you so very much well be sure you use uh one with a good uh ground fault interrupter out there in the garden but uh I, oh, it's like just news you mean oh i got you okay ground fault means no. if if you get a hold of a live wire somehow it, it breaks connection rather than frying you that's uh that's pretty graphic but that is what it amounts to and when you put it that way it gets people's attention you got mine <laughs> dan i appreciate the call thank you sir all right <laughs> goodbye Bye-bye. All right, let's see if we can get Don in here. Don, if we don't have time to do everything, I'll just put you on hold. We'll come back after the news. What can I do for you today? Oh, I'm just trying to stay cool. Good luck on that. Quick question. I have one quick question. Has the state of Texas considered or, or, or I don't know, legislation says uh, growth, growing of commercial hemp? Um, you know, I don't know what the status is. There was a bill proposed uh, in the legislature that was modeling the federal government's program, which says you can grow hemp as long as it contains less than 0.3% THC. And I, I need to track that bill. I'm tracking a couple other water-related bills, and I'll try to get you an answer on that by next week. But um, it's, it's still... <laughs> Excuse me, it's still uh, 
Um, it's still up in the air. I, our sheriff's a good friend. Our police chief and Bernie is a good friend. And I had long discussions with both of them. And they said, until we get clarification from the state, said we will, if anybody asks us to, we will look at somebody growing hemp commercially. We will take a sample of their hemp. And if it contains no THC, you know, no problem. If it contains THC, you will be cited and arrested. So if I were going to grow commercial hemp, I would be preemptive. I would be sending my hemp in long before the deputy came out to take a look at my patch, and I would find out for myself before the consequences were quite so high. Uh, There's no doubt that uh, the CBD, some of the other good things in hemp, are very, very beneficial. Uh, There's also no doubt that the state of Texas legislature can do really stupid things. So uh, I'll try to keep up with this and let you know what I learned. All right, because I figure it might be easier to grow that than it is the garden. Well, there are a lot of different things to consider there. But, uh, Don, you have a great Sunday afternoon. Everybody else, hang on. We'll talk to Tana and Charles and Bill right after news. You, of course, are listening to Gardening here on KTSA Radio in beautiful, hot San Antonio, Texas. Good morning, Tana. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Okay, I have... Two questions and one sort of cute thing to end with. All right. Okay. I have one of the um, small water features, Mm -hmm. and it's in about the size of a half whiskey barrel. Okay. And what can I use to keep it from building up um, the mineral deposits in the pump. Well, um, rainwater. You know, if you're using water, groundwater or city water, it's got minerals in it. And there's no way, um, I guess you could put in a water softener and a potassium-based water softener is not going to be too (laughs) bad but it's um, it's just part of living in South Texas. Uh, you can change the water frequently. That means siphoning everything out of that reservoir once or twice a week and replacing it with fresh water. Because what happens is as the water that's in there evaporates, the concentration of the lime in there, the calcium, just gets higher and higher and higher. Um, I once saw a fella up in Rio Frio, Texas, that had the most unique system Uh, for keeping the pads on his greenhouse calcium-free, and he was right on the Frio River. And what he did is he pumped water out of the Frio, ran it through his pads one time, and then back into the Frio River. And he had very little calcium buildup. What happens with other types of systems where we're just uh, reusing the same water over and over the amount of calcium in the water just goes up and up and up. And first of all, you've got rock out there, you know, where you used to have water. So uh, rainwater would be a good idea if there's any way you can possibly do it. Uh, distilled water is cheap. I don't know how big this uh, or how often you have to refill your water feature, but, you know, five gallons of distilled water is probably 2 or $3. And you could use that or 
The other thing you can do that what we do over at Shades of Green is we collect the air conditioning condensate. We have buckets underneath those little spigots that come out where our condensing oh, units okay. are. And that condensate water is totally calcium-free. It is free of charge. It is some of the cleanest, best water in the world. And don't worry about Legionnaire's disease and all that kind of stuff. That's a problem with big old nasty commercial buildings. It's not a problem with Tana's system. But if you have an air conditioner, you can probably keep that uh, fountain, that bird bath, full of condensate. And condensate is 100% free of calcium. Okay. Well, I have used... I have collected and used rainwater, mm-hmm. and I will also collect, I have window units, mm-hmm. so I can always put buckets underneath there. And you know, that's the we, one thing about all this nasty humidity that we all hate so much. The more humid it is, the more condensate you will collect. Mm-hmm. And um, I could probably do the complete replacement because I have to put uh, in about two to three uh, two-gallon jugs mm-hmm. every day because the birds love it. Yeah. And uh, when they get in there and take a bath, good bit comes out. <laughs> yeah. Well, because the water that you're putting there in there is free of minerals, you don't have to empty it you know, between fillings, unless you have a lot of uh, bird poop, is there a nice way to put that? Unless you have a lot of contamination in there, um, you're simply replacing water that has evaporated or been splashed out by the birds. You don't have to uh, be draining it and then totally refilling it again. You just keep adding calcium-free water, and your life gets a whole lot easier, and the birds love it. Well, that's what I've been doing so far, and thank you for the additional thought of catching the... uh air conditioner runoff oh there's you would not believe how much of it uh my friend paul barwick up in uh bernie uh designed uh there our new patrick heath library up there and put in a condensate catchment system and we're talking thousands of gallons of water every day that they collect out of that for many different uses so condensate is a very overlooked source of high quality water well i'm not griping about the birds That's why it's outside. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Okay. You have, I'm quite certain, seen these um, rubberific, made with rubber mulch mats. Right. What is your opinion of those? I don't like them. I don't like them. Rubber, most of the rubber that is used out there is recycled tires. Tires use a very, very toxic product called carbon black. In fact, the folks that work in tire plants over in Louisiana, uh, they have to sign a statement that says, I'm aware I may get cancer from working here, and I release you from all, uh, you know, all liability for it. Uh, Tires are just, um, they're just not something I want to be putting around my property. I mean, I've had... You know, old kind of East Texas look people that build raised beds out of tires. And uh, if you like that uh, hillbillies look, well, that's fine. They work just fine. But um, as a mulch mat, you've just got a lot of residue in there that I don't want in my landscape. Okay. Well, that solves that question then. Well, you always ask the best questions, Tina. You get out and have a good Sunday afternoon. Here's a quick poem. Okay. There is a little chigger. And he isn't any bigger than the point of a very small pin. But the bump that he raises 
itches like blazes, and that's where the rub comes in. Ah, that's pretty darn good and pretty darn accurate. Very much so. (laughs) Thank you for the smile. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dana. Okay, let's see here. Uh, Next in line is Bill. Let me push that button right. Oops, that's not what I want to push. Let me push that button right there and say good morning, Bill. Uh, Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Hey, I'm the Bill. You gave me the 101 on the uh, plant liquid stuff. Yeah. Yesterday. Okay. And I actually took, got my watering can and brought it in here, and I got a half gallon container of milk. Uh huh. Except it was empty; it was in the recycle bin. Uh huh. And I'm and I put two of them in there, and that means I did have a one gallon one. Uh huh. It's an old, old, old thing because you told most of them were, were too. Well, I don't I haven't bought a new one ever. I don't know. Uh-huh. But I had one. I left off one important question, and in, in my uh, your your thing, and most of it, you said I was doing it right. The only thing I didn't ask you is how often do I have to do it every morning and afternoon? Yeah, no, I'm being. And now, what there. what were we trying to control with this? Veg, well, not feeding the tomatoes and the vegetables. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do it every. I do it every two weeks. Two weeks. Yes, sir. Okay. And that'd apply to the flower container I got out on the front porch, too. Absolutely. Okay, every two weeks. Yes, sir. All right, that was easy. Yes, it was, Bill. Thank you for the call, sir. (laughs) Bye. All right, next up is uh, Virginia. Let me be sure I hit the right button here. Good morning, Virginia. Good morning. Can you hear me? I hear you loud and clear. Okay, I have a lot of static. I don't know what the problem is. Oh, talk to Uh, the phone company. I can solve your plant problems, but I can't figure these damn phones out. So I hear you just fine. Okay, that's good. Uh, I have three short questions, I hope. I have bought really nice strawberry plants, and the ones I started to ignore, you know, they didn't put anything on. They're Mm -hmm. still alive. The ones I've been doting over, they die. And the base of them will turn red. Uh The base of the plant will turn red. And I I had lost one already. And now there's uh, where there were two in one pot. You know, these mm-hmm. were nice plants on a barn. And when when are you stuff. when are you planting these? I, I have raised beds. But when when did you plant the plants? Oh, uh, not too long ago. About a month ago is when yeah, this, they were available. Yeah, this this is a wrong time of year to plant strawberries. Strawberries should be planted in October. November is yeah. not bad, but. You know, everybody wants to plant strawberries when you see the strawberries start showing up at the store. And when we get pounded with irregular rain, when we get, you know, blistered with heat that goes from very cool to very hot, uh, I'm afraid I see that constantly on strawberries. So uh, next time, put it on your calendar to plant your plants uh, sometime close to Halloween, and you'll have much, much better success with them. This red coloring in the base of the plant is that a disease or that's just i'm giving up you know and well it what happens is in the sap in the leaves of the strawberry plants you have Mm -hmm. a lot of red pigments they're called carotenoids or called xanthophils uh there are a lot of different Uh things and um they they most of the time they are masked by the green chlorophyll 
when your plant gets yeah. unhealthy and stops producing a bunch of chlorophyll, then you start seeing the red show up. That red's been there all along, but your plant is oh. getting unhealthy and doesn't have the chlorophyll it needs, and that's why you're seeing the red color show up in the plant. Okay. Another question I have, Drew, some artrochs. I live in Zone 9B. Will they grow in Zone 9B, or is that just a... Um, I know you should be able to grow Jerusalem artichokes in zone nine. Now, recognize that all plant hardiness zones tell you is how much cold weather the plants will tolerate. They do not tell you how much hot heat they will tolerate. They do not tell you what kind of soil you need. All on earth, and I think it's pretty worthless, all on earth the plant hardiness does is tell you, hey, if it gets below this point, the plant's likely to freeze. But it's sure not the whole story of growing a good plant. No, I I had them in the greenhouse. All they did was struggle, and these were nice-looking roots, and they never, they just finally brought it. Yeah, plant Uh, plant them out uh, where they get morning sun and afternoon shade, and uh, they uh call them sunchokes or Jerusalem artichokes. You should be able to do fairly well with them. If they don't stay soggy wet, and Mother Nature's been kind of fickle with some of us with uh, the rain, and other people are getting more than they really need. So if I were going to grow the uh, sunchokes, I'd be doing them in a raised bed so they're not as Mm -hmm. affected if we have constant moisture. But uh, they're one of those things that some years are going to do well and some years are going to do miserably. Welcome to gardening. Last question. Uh, what is the best way to drench ants? I, I had talked to you before about uh, stuff was eating my plants up in that one raised bed. Yep. Well, I got ants, and you don't see them because they're way down in the ground, yep. and they come out at night, and I didn't know that. Uh, what is the best way if they're that deep in, in the raised bed? How do I get to them? Well, you just have to use more of the liquid. You can use a uh-huh. Nature's Creation product called Mound Drench, which is based on rosemary oil, or you can use orange oil. The thing is, you have to get it strong enough to kill the ants without getting it so strong it will harm your plants. Generally, Mm -hmm. with either oil, one to two tablespoons per gallon of water, and just water slowly, thoroughly, saturate the soil, and one or two applications, you should be totally free of the ants. Now, doesn't mean you won't have another queen fly in and start a new colony at some point, but it should be very effective in killing the ants you have. Okay, thank you very much. You have a very good weekend. You do the same, Virginia. Always a pleasure to talk to you. All right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Charles is up first, and it's going to be Reese and Richard and Linda. And let me punch line number three. Good morning, Charles. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Hey, I've been invaded inside the house with fruit flies. Yeah. And I got fruit fly uh, drink or whatever that is, that red stuff sitting everywhere. And yep. we're just punch. invaded, man. Yeah. Are you sure they're fruit, fruit flies and not sewer gnats? They could be sewer gnats, but uh, I don't know. The wife jumped vinegar and stuff down the sink. I told her no, I don't that's, know if that works. That's, that's not going to do anything. I, I just say that because I find 98% of the time it's not fruit flies. If If you've gotten rid of your old fruit, uh, you won't have fruit flies, but uh, you've got that little U-shaped thing called a P-trap underneath your sinks and drains right, that right. holds water, and that's where they reproduce. What you need to do is get a bottle of orange oil. I recommend Medina's orange oil, 
And okay. um, when <laughs> I'll be nice and say when you get through doing the dishes, not when she does, but when you get through doing the dishes for her, then you just put maybe a half a teaspoon of orange oil down the sink. Uh, when you get out of the shower, nobody's going to be in there for a little while, but maybe half a teaspoon down the drain. It kills the sewer gnats pretty much instantly. It destroys the larvae, and with a day or two, you're absolutely rid of them. Now, probably the smallest bottle you can buy from Medina of orange oil is going to be a pint, and it's probably going to cost you $15, $17, something like that. But there are so many different things you can do with it. We give our customers a list of all the different uses for orange oil, and Believe me, it's uh, sitting up on my water heater in my kitchen. I'm never without one or two bottles of orange oil because I use it for everything from killing mosquitoes to uh, sewer gnats to a lot of other things. It's just a great cleaner. Um, I, I just love orange oil. Okay. Okay, in the backyard, I've got a, a – I read the label when I first moved here. I don't remember if it's a lemon or a lime tree, okay. and it wound up getting thorns on it. Uh-huh. That's normal, okay. both – both lemons and limes tend to have thorns. Are they little short thorns, maybe half to three-quarters of an inch, or are they two-inch monsters? Uh, they're pretty long. Okay. Then you've probably had the rootstock grow out. The sour orange, which is the most commonly used rootstock on uh, citrus trees, they have, I mean, wicked two, two-and-a-half-inch thorns, whereas your lemons and your limes both can produce a little stubby uh, thorn that's half to three-quarters of an inch. Uh, you're going to have to look at that tree real, real carefully. If it is rootstock growing out, you'll probably notice that the stems are a little bit flatter. They're not perfectly round, and you might as well cut out everywhere you see those big thorns because uh, that's going to produce a nasty orange that would pucker you for weeks if you tried to eat it. Okay, well... The little short thing kept poking me when I mowed the yard, and I got mad at it yesterday and uh -huh. took some clippers back there, uh -huh. and I just whacked it off. Not to the ground, but it's about two foot tall. If I just leave it alone, will it spout back out? Oh, it certainly should. It certainly should. And here's the thing about winter and lemons, limes, and most other types of citrus. The sour orange plant is cold-hardy down to about 10 degrees. Whereas uh, your lemons, your limes, your tangerines, all of those things are cold-hardy to maybe 18 degrees, maybe 26 in the case of the lemons, maybe 32 in the case of the limes. And so we have a, a cold winter, and all the grafted portion of your tree freezes and dies, but then that plant just starts putting out new growth everywhere because that rootstock is so cold-hardy, it doesn't even care if it gets to 15 degrees. It's going to sprout out and grow and what we end up with a tree that's all rootstock, it can be regrafted, uh, but it's real easy to lose the Myers lime, the uh, Mexican lemon, the Satsuma, whatever. It's real easy to lose that and have a tree that's nothing but rootstock. Okay. Just one more. Down the street here, uh, I see one of these old orange trees, and it must be one of the ones that come out several years back that, People won't even eat the oranges off yeah. of it. What yeah. happened to that tree? That's probably all rootstock. Uh, the rootstock oh. is called sour orange, and it's what has been used as an understory. It's been used for a graft stock probably for 50 years now, and uh, that's a very, very common problem where trees get a little neglected. The rootstock takes over, and everybody sees all these oranges, and they think, oh, boy, look at all the oranges, and then they bite one on it's not such a pleasant experience. 
Okay, I'm guilty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can make marmalade out of them. You can do other things with them, but you're not going to make orange juice unless you own stock in Domino Sugar. And um, you can you can make marmalade, but uh, there's not a lot that's going to give you a real tasty, desirable product. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to get me some of that oil and deal with it. Go after it, Charles. Let me know if you have any more questions. That's what we're here for. All right. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, uh, let's go to the top of the board and say good morning, Reese. Good morning, Bob. Good Am morning. Are you close to the news time? No, no, we've got 33 okay. minutes before we have to All worry right. about okay, that. Okay, Bob, I'll go quickly. My first question is Esperanzas. I planted one. It grows tall, but with no blooms. Maybe I planted the wrong type. Can you suggest some names? Is it out in full sun? Full sun, yes, Bob. Okay, mm-hmm. and what color are you looking for? Yellow. Okay, the best yellow one out there. Um, oh, give me just a second to think about this, is uh, um, <laughs> my brain thinks about all the different things, and uh, it's, uh, I'll, I'll have to think about that for okay. a second and tell you, but um, it there is one that Greg Grant is the fellow that developed it or brought it into production, and uh, it's, uh, its flowers are about four times as numerous, about three times more long-lasting, and uh, it's just it just makes by far the best one out there. Most good nurseries, it's the only yellow Esperanza that they will be selling. Uh, now there is a sort of a butterscotch colored one that is more of a dwarf plant, and uh, it is like I say, it's more of a more of a butterscotch color than just pure yellow. Yeah, I've seen those, but I like the yellow. You yeah, know. yeah. Well, uh, Gold Star, it finally popped. Gold if I, I have to stop thinking about it, and then it pops into my brain, but Gold Star Esperanza. Is the yellow that you're looking for? Okay. Does it grow very tall? Um, the first year it will grow about ten or twelve feet tall. If okay. we have a mild winter and it doesn't freeze back by the end of the second year, it'll be up fifteen or eighteen feet tall. Wow. But depending on how cold it gets, it mm-hmm. may freeze down to four feet tall. It may freeze almost to the ground. So the height that it achieves on its second year is going to depend on how cold the winter was and uh, and how far back it freezes. Okay, the next question is about thuracide. Uh-huh. Thuracide. You know, my tomatoes are doing good. I don't see any bugs, but is it still safe to spray with the thuracide? Well, thuracide is just uh, one of the brand names of uh, BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. Uh, okay. It's totally safe to you. It's totally safe to your pets. Um, you don't want to get carried away because we don't want to kill every caterpillar. We don't want to, Correct. you know, the some of the ones that make the beautiful butterflies. But right. um, those of us that hate tom- tomato hornworms and things like that, mm-hmm. yeah, Thuricide is an okay product to use. And I would encourage you to always add a little bit of molasses to it, to the tune of about a teaspoon of molasses per gallon of spray. That'll make your Thuricide about 20 times more effective and long-lasting. You mean liquid molasses? Yeah, liquid molasses. Liquid okay, molasses yeah. is I a have very some granular type, but I don't have liquid. Um, as long as you're not going to spray it, you could put the granules in there and you get the benefit. But those, uh, the granular molasses does not dissolve. Uh, you can still pour it on, but if you're going to put it in a sprayer, you'd have to strain it yeah. before you could put it in there. Okay. The next question: lava sand. Yes. I applied it all around my roses, Good. tomatoes, all the flowering bushes. Do we need to water that in? No. no, no. It changes it the around. it changes the physical and chemical structure of the soil. 
other than a few little micronutrients, there's nothing that comes out of the lava sand that benefits your plants. It's, it's much more a physical help than it is a chemical help. So uh, absolutely, uh, when Mother Nature waters it, that's fine, but you don't have to do anything special with it. All right, Bob. Thank you so much. I feel so excited when you take my call. You well, know. I always put you put you up there as quickly as I can, and I always enjoy talking to you, Reese. Thank you so have much, Have a Bob. wonderful have Sunday. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Have one line open. It's, you better grab it if you want to get through today, because we are winding down the last 25 minutes of the show. We're going to talk to Richard, and then to Linda, and then to Gary. And let's just start right there. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Uh, I have a mystery that I'm hoping that you can help me with. I'll do my I best. Have a tree that an arborist is telling me is a Chinese pistache. Okay. I know nothing about this tree. And what happened was it started producing a black sap. Mm-hmm. It was dripping from the tree in various spots, uh, getting on the car and things like that. Yep. An arborist was recommending um, some type of a fertilizer, uh, but never applied it. And then uh, recommended possibly cutting the tree down. So I waited, and I went over there about a week or so, a week ago and took pictures of it, and it has green leaves on it. Uh-huh. So it seems like it's okay now. Do you have any suggestions on well, what to do with it to try and, you know, save it? Is Should I... Should I save it? You know, my old friend Alton Grimm always taught me that there's no such thing as a good tree or a bad tree. Every tree has good characteristics and bad characteristics. I personally don't like Chinese pistache. I've seen for every one good-looking one I see, I see about 20 of them that absolutely look horrible. Now, having said that, they have some of the best fall color anywhere. Uh, The trees may be male or female. The female trees will make a lot of berries. You'll have little sprouts come up everywhere. Have you noticed berries forming on it, or does it just have uh, good pretty foliage in the fall? No berries. Okay, so it's probably a male tree. I think it just comes down to, does Richard like the tree or not? It's It's got some of the best color, but it's always going to be a straggly grower. It's rarely going to have a real pretty shape in our area. Now, you go up to Howard Garrett's world up in Dallas, and you'll find big, majestic specimens up there where they have little things like deep soil and a few things that we don't have down here. So right, um, right. I'm not going to tell you it's a bad tree. I'm going to tell you that it's... It's not a tree that I would voluntarily plant, but if it's already okay. there, I've just got to decide, uh, do I want to keep it? Do I want to take it out? Do I want to replace it? Uh, because it is, come October, November, it's going to be one of the fieriest red trees. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, the maples is in color. It's kind of like the maples that you see in New England. So um, right. it does have Will one or two redeeming qualities. That What's that? Will it always produce that sap? You need to look at the base of the tree. Many times I see that when the tree is buried up above the root flare. Um, okay. You can try spraying with hydrogen peroxide, and it's, it's a bacterial infection is what it is, and it's, it's stress-related. So anything you can do to reduce the stress, which means exposing that root flare, which means using a good organic fertilizer, which means watching your watering carefully, the tree is perfectly capable of overcoming that product, but if you do nothing, it won't go away. Okay. It produces shade. It's a nice tree. But if it if it was in fact going to die, I was going to take it out. But it was going to be quite costly to do that. Well, so I just it, wanted to. And how how big is this tree? 
It's probably 30 to 35 feet tall. Okay. Um, there are companies out there where you're not worried about, uh, you know, quality arborist-type work. There are some hack, whack, and stack tree trimmers out there that will do a good job without being super costly. Call me at the nursery sometime, and we can give you some choices. Uh, my business partner had a uh, pecan tree, a dead pecan tree, and she called a really good arborist that we recommend very highly. He wanted uh, $3,000 to take it out. We called another arborist that I, I wouldn't trust him with a tree that I really liked, but this was a dead tree that just needed to go, and he did a job for like 500 So, wow, okay. you know, it, it comes down to this is not a job uh, that requires, I mean, you've got to have a tree trimmer that has insurance. That's the bottom line. Right. Never have anybody on your property that doesn't have insurance to protect you from what his men may do to themselves or to others. But uh, there there are, when it's strictly removal, there's some people out there that uh, will not be charging an arm and leg to take care of it. Okay. Well, I appreciate the information, and I, I definitely will give you a call. Well, it's a good question, Richard. I appreciate you calling me this morning, and hope you have a great weekend. And let's just move along right here and say good morning to Linda. What are you doing today? Uh, sitting here listening to the radio. Well, I appreciate that more than you know. How can I make your day better? I just wanted to know if there's any way of telling how old an ash tree ash tree is. There is, but um, it's a bit of a complicated process. What you do, and this has to be done by somebody who really knows what they're doing. They take a little tiny drill, and they drill through the trunk of the tree and take out a little core of tissue, maybe three-sixteenths of an inch wide. Then they put that under a microscope and count how many what they call annual rings that tree has produced, and that's how many years old the tree is because every year a tree produces one annual ring if it is a reasonable growing year. Now, in times of bad drought, uh, it may make only one ring over a period of about five or six years, but a good arborist uh, learns how to read these things. But this is not the do-it-yourself do it project you're going to pick up on the Internet. But yeah. there's no way of just looking at the tree and telling, but it involves what they call coring. They did this, for instance, on the big uh, uh, Montezuma cypress that Howard Garrett identified down in Tule, Mexico. They found that the tree was 2,600 years old. But wow. uh, uh, I can pretty much promise you it would be rare to have an ash in this area that was more than 50 or 60 years old. And, yes, you can find out. But if anybody says they can look at it and tell you how old it is, you know, they're going to try to sell you some waterfront property in Arizona, too, oceanfront. Yeah. It's about 28 inches in diameter and about, I don't know, 50 feet high. Yeah, you would be safe guessing that that tree is between 40 and 50 years old. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, my pleasure, Linda. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, bye. All right, let's get back to gardening here. We're going to talk to Gary and Kay. That's probably going to wind it up for today, depending on how long the questions are. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? It's just uh, going to be a nice day going to be nicer tomorrow when it's 20 degrees cooler, but uh, it's getting to be summertime, and this is South Texas. Are you there? Gary, I think you might have hit the mute button on your phone. Um, Take a look at that and uh, push it again. 
Okay, Kareem, I'm going to put Gary back on hold. I will let you check with him and be sure that he is still there. And uh, I will go ahead. And, okay, he's waving to me and saying go for it again. Uh, Gary, good morning. Okay, went away. All right, well, they'll leave that open for a minute if you want to call back. And I'll talk to Kay. Good morning, Kay. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have a couple of tree questions. Okay. One of them, I have a friend that uh, plants uh, quite a few Monterey oak, and he said for the usually for the cu- first couple of years or so that the leaves are brown on the edges, and he was just curious about that. Well, brown edges are a sign that there's a little bit of root damage going on. And it can be from too much water, from too little water, can be from the wrong fertilizer, can be from uh, unpredictable weather. But, you know, when you when you plant a tree, you're moving it to a totally new environment. You're asking it, uh, you know, it's kind of like pulling up uh, Kay and moving her halfway across the country and expecting her to be totally happy the first day she's in her new location. Trees the same way. It's going to take it a little bit of time to really get accustomed to the new spot, it's going to take a little bit of time to put its roots down and spread out to where it's got a little bit more consistent water supply. So that doesn't really surprise me. I will tell you that uh, there's some things he can do to avoid it. Uh, for the first six months, to set trees in the ground. If he would go out there on a daily basis or twice a day, put a nozzle on the end of his hose, and just spray over the canopy of that tree. While that tree's getting its roots established, it will absorb a great deal of moisture directly through the bark on the tree. And uh, that really cuts down on that little bit of stress. Um, Making certain that that root flare is well up will help. But uh, normally it's just just a temporary setback while that uh, tree's getting used to its new home. And there are things you can do to avoid it, but uh, rarely is it life-threatening to the tree. Well, the nursery that he buys them from says that he doesn't stock very many because not the live oak or other trees, but the Monterey oak. He has a lot of calls from people that are saying that the leaves are brown, you know, crispy on the end. And so he was just curious if it was something just with the Monterey oak. That tree supplier just didn't tell us, telling their customers how to how to take care of them. We, we sell a ton of Monterey Oaks and, uh, I've planted plenty of them myself and, uh, and the problems are not, um, they're not really unique to the tree. They're unique to the people that are planting them. And, uh, they're just, um, an awful lot of people don't do a very good job of it. I guess it's the nicest way I can put it. Okay. I got you. Uh, the second one has to do with the uh, elm that I have in my yard. It's a large elm, uh, been here a long time, and it's got sap running down it. Um, okay. It probably, the tree is stressed for one reason or another. Most common cause of stress is having that root flare buried too deeply. Um, can also be an issue if it's being crowded out or if it's not getting enough light because there are other bigger trees around it. But about 90% of the time, if you will go out, expose that root flare totally, you know, 12 inches out away from the sides of the tree, that gamosis, as it is called, goes away completely. Well, the apron, like around it, it's got those big, high, you know, roots. Mm-hmm. 
where you can't mow anywhere close. Well, you shouldn't is be that planting. Part of it, or I need to go deeper than that. Uh, you need to be sure that that is well exposed, <laughs> and uh, don't be planting grass around there anyway. You shouldn't have to be mowing around that. Plant some ground cover, yeah. some flower, something like that. But uh, yeah. that is a very, at the very minimum. You should see a bunch of big roots like that up on the surface. Uh, uh, elms yeah. have an absolutely gorgeous root flare when they're properly exposed. Right. I mean, those roots go out at least for a yard or two yards. Yeah, they're, it sounds sounds yeah. like the tree is in pretty good shape, but it may need just a little bit more help. A little bit more, okay. Yeah, and be sure you're using an organic fertilizer. Be sure no one ever <laughs> uses any weed and feed product or anything Never. like that around them because, you know, that's that's just terribly destructive to the root system. Yeah. Don't worry about that. I'm the organic person of the <laughs> Well, the I'm so. proud of you. I can find you lots and of work. It's because if you get... of you, the two. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, that's my pleasure. Sure, bring it by sometime. We'll take a look and see if we can tell you anything else. All right. Next time I'm there, but it's about 100 miles. So. <laughs> ah, well, you know, next time you need to come to the big city, and everybody uh, does every now and then. I have friends that use the doctor as the excuse for the only reason they come to town other people the spurs game is the only reason they come to town but whatever your reason next time you come to san antonio we'll look forward to helping you yeah it would be coming to shades of green that would be my reason <laughs> well, <laughs> all right we thank appreciate you so that. much bob it's certainly my pleasure thank you all right well got a couple of minutes here what i'm going to do is open the phone lines now for dr kirby's show and uh, so you know how those lines fill up just like they do on the plant show. If you have a, have a question for the best veterinarian in town, it will be a real good time to get in line, 210-599-5555. Um, we'll remind you that it's going to be very hot today. If you are out working outside, be sure you're consuming plenty of fluids. Be sure that you're consuming plenty of electrolytes. And in this case, too much is probably just enough. I think I made the mistake of not getting quite enough yesterday when I was putting up some shade structures over at the nursery. And uh, I had a little bout of not feeling real good for a while this morning. But fortunately, that's pretty much gone now. But uh, do take care of yourself. Do take care of your pets. I'm sure Dr. Kirby will be talking about that because this is uh, downright dangerous weather to your pets if they get overheated if they can't get in the shade if they don't have the water that they need uh, this this just kind of brutal weather out there good news is tomorrow we're looking at hopefully about 20 degree lower temperatures than what we're going to have this afternoon that doesn't mean don't get out and enjoy there are lots of things to plant just you know wear that big hat wear plenty of sunscreen plenty of mosquito repellent and if you're planting periwinkles if you're planting portulaca if you're planting purslane if you're planting wonderful perennials like Oh, gosh, everything from plumbago to salvias to skullcaps to esperanza. I, I could just go on and on about all the things that you could be doing, you know, outside uh, today. So I hope you will get out and enjoy. We do this again uh, next Saturday morning. Uh, next Saturday, of course, is the day before Father's Day. Be making your list. Be thinking about uh, if you... What a suggestion for something for Dad. I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot of that next weekend because Father's Day is next Sunday. And most of the dads out there, they can always use uh, good tools, good things to use around the garden. Uh, if you're into birding, if you're into nature, get out to Wild Birds Unlimited and see uh, you know, see all the great things they have. Um, get out and uh, and visit Fanix next Saturday. They've got uh, great things going on. 20% off everything out there all day Saturday. Saturday is the official celebration of 80 years in business for Fanix Nursery. I knew old 
Betty Faddock for a couple of years before he passed. He's the guy that started the nursery 80 years ago, carried on by his son, John, carried on today by John's sons, Mike and Mark, and all the rest of the family out there. And uh, they're going to have quite an event out there next Saturday. And uh, if you're out and about, uh, sure will be a good time to get by and say hello and just, just visit some of the greatest people around. Other things, I'm getting a lot of questions in the vegetable garden. Uh, lots of blossom end rot showing up. That is not a disease. That is an imbalance of calcium and magnesium. And you solve that problem with Epsom salts. Uh, I always use Epsom salts when I plant, and I rarely have it show up. But if you're having blossom end rods show up, if you're having your tomatoes, the bottom side of them just turns black and kind of shrivels, very ugly looking, but you can actually cut it off and the rest of the tomato is still good. Uh, but that's what we call blossom end rot, and you can dissolve a couple of tablespoons of Epsom salts to a gallon of water, water your tomatoes with that, and it won't change the tomatoes that may already have the blossom end rot, but it'll sure keep new ones from forming the blossom end rot. So uh, get out there. Um, again, I get lots of questions this time of year about squash. Uh, people think it's getting blossom end rot because the uh, the far end, the distal end of the squash uh, just turned soft and mushy. That is a problem of poor pollination. It means you need to do more to get more bees into your garden, or you need to get a little artist paintbrush and you take over the job of the bee and pollinate those flowers yourselves. Cucumbers, seeing a lot of the same thing on cucumbers. It doesn't look the same. Cucumbers, it'll look like uh, you have a cucumber developing. The first two inches of it will look like a normal cucumber, and then it just turns into kind of a little rat's tail, and that's all from having not enough pollination going on. Now, I'll probably start picking bush beans today. Uh, certainly time to be planting a new crop of bush beans. And remember, as we get in a hotter summer weather, there's some different varieties that are much, much more tolerant of the heat. I always plant Tavera early in the spring. That's what I'll be harvesting today and tomorrow. I'll probably be planting Contender or Top Crop, one of those for uh, next month's harvest on, on the bush beans. But gosh, you're just so much to do. And if your yard's not colorful enough, get out to a good nursery and Look at all the new varieties of Esperanza. Look at the Pride of Barbados at Betos. Look at the perennials like uh, your shrimp plant. Look at the tropicals like your bougainvilleas and hibiscus and ixoras. Uh, there's just so many things you can do to avoid having a boring, dull lawn. All right, well, it's just about time for Your Pet's Health with Dr. Dan Kirby. We're going to be talking to Robert and Rose. will be the first two people up, so... Uh, you want to grab a line, you know the number, 210-599-5555. Thanks so much for joining me today for the pet for the plant show. We'll do this again next Saturday morning from 530 till 9, right here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas.